Welcome to We Go There. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... But hey, we go there. Because there's no such thing as having too much information when it comes to your health and wellness. We dive deep into topics, interview experts, and get answers you need. Because knowledge is power. And feeling empowered is what we're all about. So let's go there. Buckle up for this one, my friends. So Megan Marsiglio is here today to talk about bathroom anxiety. And in case you're wondering, it is real anxiety. And we are going to learn all about it today. And apparently it's more common than people might think. So Megan is a gut health advocate. She is the founder of the Gut Gazette, which is a digestive health platform committed to destigmatizing gut issues. So let's talk about gut issues and bathroom anxiety and all the things. Megan, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation. Same. Yep, we are too. (laughs) So (laughs) where to begin? Um, Okay, how does this, how does one begin a digestive health platform? So tell us your story. I know you mentioned in your bio that you've got Crohn's disease and I'm wondering, was there a particular moment or catalyst that pushed you to start this? And also, I think some people might not even really know what Crohn's is. So let's dive into that. Sure. So first off, Crohn's is an inflammatory bowel disease, and it's under the umbrella of inflammatory bowel disease or IBD. So there's Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, and it's an autoimmune condition. Um, I was diagnosed in 2009. And I had been struggling with gut issues for years before. Um, I was always told it was just IBS or it was in my head or it was an anxiety that I had to deal with. But I, at the time I was in high school and, uh, you know, symptoms were getting worse and, um, by the time I graduated, like I was really sick and now I'm in my first year of university and my parents and myself are advocating to get further testing. So it was in my first year that I was diagnosed with Crohn's and I didn't know anybody else with a gut issue. Um, of course, nobody talks about them and my doctor wasn't very supportive. He basically just gave me a diagnosis and sent me off, said if I had any issues to come back to him. So I went to Google and, you know, Googled Crohn's disease and to see if I could get any insight into like other people with the diagnosis to see if there were any forums. There was a couple of other Toronto bloggers who were documenting their journey. And at the time, blogging was so new, you know, like 2009, like it was blogs were like dot blogspot.com. It was so new. And if you wanted to comment on a post, you had to have an account so that you could have a name associated with it, right? There wasn't like Instagram to, to do these commenting. Um, and I didn't want to be an anonymous commenter. So I thought, okay, I'll start a blog of my own so that I look legit. And we were just at the cottage one week and I was brainstorming names and I thought I'll do the gut gazette. Um, so that I can just connect with these two other women who I had met online. And um, from there, it was just more of a kind of a journal or diary, like a self-help diary for myself to just document my journey. And then it's just kind of grown and blossomed from 
me starting it in 2009. Wow. And I love it. It's been this long. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely taken, you know, pauses and breaks and, you know, once I discovered that I couldn't eat gluten, it became more of a food blog. And then meeting so many other people with gut issues, I was like, oh, it needs to be more of a community. And now it is, it is a community and it's, um, it's so great. I've met so many people through it and it's really empowering to hear other people's stories and to share them and just be really open on it. So how old were you when you first started having symptoms? I was 16 and I'm 32 now. Okay. Um, and, and like you're going, especially as a 16 year old, like it's hard to advocate in your thirties, let alone as a teen to try to figure out like what's wrong. So was it pain? Was it diarrhea? We're going to go right into it. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to know, like, what is it that you feel when you're dealing with Crohn's? Yeah. So when it first started, it was terrible pain, like stabbing pain. I would always describe it as like someone stabbing me internally and then pouring acid in. Like that's what it felt like. It was such a terrible pain. And then I was having frequent, urgent bowel movements. Like I would be going to the bathroom 10 to 12 times a day, more so in the morning. And it was diarrhea. So I'm in high school, like I'm raising my hand all the time. And that was an anxiety in itself because like, why do you have to raise your hand four times in one class to go to the bathroom? Right. So I missed out on a lot in high school, um, social events and just school events because I was so sick trying to figure this out. Uh, Fortunately, my parents at the time, I mean, they still are, but they were so supportive and they did the majority of the advocating because as a teen, you don't really know where to start. I'm sure that impacted your friendships and even like, you know, if you had a boyfriend or not, I'm not sure. Maybe you weren't, you know, like how did just that anxiety about, you know, I can just you paint such a good picture of sitting in like math class and probably getting like your teacher being like, you're trying to slack off. Like, why are you continuing to go to the bathroom? Like, did you ever get flack for that? Um, Well, it got to a point where we did talk to my teachers to say like, this is what's going on. If I have to use the washroom, can I just leave without bringing attention to myself? But there were a lot of other areas that I would slack off. Like we had these Um, weekly assemblies in this huge auditorium. And I like had this huge fear of sitting in the middle of the assembly and having to just like get up and go to the bathroom because they're only like 10, 20 minutes. So why couldn't I just go before kind of thing? So I would skip out on those. I would skip out on um, like field trips or, and then for for grad year, you know, there was all of that like celebrating. And I, I didn't, honestly, I did not have a good, social group in high school my main goal was to like just go to school get my grades and graduate that was my job at the time so it was it was definitely difficult but once I got into university getting that diagnosis just like was a huge weight off my shoulders knowing that it wasn't just an anxiety that I was dealing with because the doctors I I was told you probably just have anxiety of you know, high school, here's a social worker, um, irritable bowel syndrome, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's way more than that. Yeah. How long? So it took you from 
16 till what, like 18, 19? Yeah. It was a a two to three year diagnosis. And it's not typically that long. Some people, you know, they'll experience blood in in their stools, which is an emergency and they're diagnosed. I had more mild symptoms, so I wasn't experiencing blood. I didn't have any obstructions um, and I didn't, so that's why they didn't really take it seriously. Um, And then finally, you know, we had to advocate to get the further testing done. So can we have a colonoscopy? The doctor was like, we won't find anything. And in that colonoscopy, they found five ulcers in my (gasps) ileum, which is the lowest part of your small intestine. It's the, it's literally, not literally, it's the, um, it, it connects to the colon. It's like the very lowest end. And, uh, that's when I was diagnosed. Wow. How common Mm. is this? Crohn's and colitis are really common. Um, a lot more people have it than you would think. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the stat here, but it's um, Canada has the highest prevalence of uh, IBD. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Do they have any inkling as to why that may be the case? No, it's it's just like any other autoimmune condition. They have no idea what causes it, what triggers it. Of course, there's like, you know, ideas and theories, but it's just like any other autoimmune. This episode of the We Go There podcast is brought to you by The Bell Method, a fitness company that blends Pilates with pelvic health, creating choreography from science. You might feel overwhelmed at all the abs after baby programs promising to make you bounce back after birth, or maybe you're feeling unsure of how to exercise in pregnancy and prepare your body for delivery. It can be tough to navigate what information is credible and evidence-based. Women deserve better. I created all of our programs with the guidance of pelvic health physiotherapists, and we continue to evolve our programming to stay current with the latest research. At The Bell Method, we ditch guilt and bring balance to our bodies with programs designed to fit your life stage. We'll help you reduce incontinence, diastasis recti, and prolapse so you feel strong, confident, and empowered throughout pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. I invite you to enjoy 10% off your first class session with the code WEGOTHERE10. Visit www.thebellmethod.com for more. Yeah, they. I when I was in university, I had, so I have rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. and I was on really hard medication for like anti-inflammatories and stuff like that. So they thought I had ulcerative colitis. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, because I couldn't, like I literally was a similar scenario. Like I couldn't like digest anything. Like everything was just going right through me. And I lost like, oh my gosh, like 20 pounds, like, which also then sparks up so much more because I'm in university and all of a sudden I've lost all this weight. And then people are linking it as if it's an eating disorder and talking about me and all of those things. And actually it was because I was on, hardcore anti-inflammatories that had just stripped my stomach to shreds. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Yeah. So it was fortunately for me, like I, once I got off the meds, I started to really eat clean and things like that. It went away and I didn't have like the long-term effects that a lot of people then live with, um, with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. But for you, what's, what's today look like? And have you been able to yeah. Like what does today look like for you? Yeah. Today I'm in full remission. Amazing. Um, I've been in remission for probably six years now. 
Um, and I'm not on any medication, so I do have a mild form of it. I'm really lucky that I am medication free and, but I, um, manage it through diet and stress. And I mean, we all have stresses, but you know, we all have our toolkits on how to manage stress too. So just trying to figure that out. And there's a huge link between your gut and your brain, as you probably know. So just, you know, I do have anxiety and trying to manage that and deal with that. Um, and it helps. So yeah. let's talk about like the whole, okay. So I want to, Lexi mentioned to eat clean and I have gotten in shit on Instagram for using that phrase. Oh so no. Call that out. <laughs> I, I get Uh-oh. That What's going to happen, that. Nikki? I'm just gonna, see, I'm calling it out because I'm sure there was a listener who was like, oh, eat clean. Meh. So we're going to talk well, about I, it. Yeah. Do you want we're me to explain what I did? It. So like, eat clean is really, it's very individual. Yes. And, you know, this isn't food shaming. We're just no. talking about ways to eat in a way that your gut isn't going to feel like acids being poured in it. Correct? Okay. I mean, for me, it was because I had rheumatoid arthritis. So it was anything that was in that sparked inflammation. So I had, I cut dairy and things like that because that always would inflame my knees. Like it was to point at times I couldn't walk. And so if I could reduce inflammation through things I ate, then I wouldn't have to take as many, as much medication. So that's what I mean by eat clean. I don't know how much with Crohn's like, and this was more about my rheumatoid arthritis. Cause if I cut, if I was able to reduce inflammation with rheumatoid arthritis, I was able to cut out a lot of the anti-inflammatories that were likely causing the issue that I was having with my gut. So I don't know with Crohn's, like, that's a great question. What is, does eating and like the foods you eat contribute a lot to the symptoms that you have? Yeah, it absolutely does. And there's a lot more um, research that's been going on lately to see the link between food and IBD. Um, But everyone's so different too. You know, like I can eat raw vegetables, whereas somebody else can't have raw vegetables. And, you know, vegetables, quote unquote, would be clean, right? Um, But if you you know, they're hard to digest. So some people with gut issues can't have vegetable, raw vegetables. Um, for me, I can't have gluten. Some people can eat gluten. It's, it's so dependent on what your symptoms and what your disease looks like. Okay, we, talk about yeah. thing. we got to talk about the gluten thing. Oh, have yeah. you ever gone yeah. to a restaurant? Cause this has happened to me. So I have a very severe gluten allergy that I'd only discovered in my late twenties. And this was from like like very intense stomach pain. And I'll tell a brief story here. I was still performing and dancing at the time. And I had just gone to Switzerland. And if you know anything about Switzerland, it's like raclette and baguettes and cheese. And like, we were on a delicious, (laughs) all the things, but like I was eating like essentially baguettes for like three days every like and it was like here's your sandwich on the bus we're gonna go have a dinner now it's raclette like it was literally bread upon bread upon bread like breakfast morning and night and on the flight home I was like and I thought it was just because I was tired because we've been going nonstop, and I'm flying home and I'm just like oh my god my stomach and at the time this was right before I was like I gotta get this diagnosed but I vomited and it was so painful and people of course assume it's air sickness I'm like I don't get motion sick like it was just this acid feeling. I love that you mentioned that because that's quite accurate. 
sensation in your stomach. So long story short, I finally discovered that it was gluten causing this issue, but now going to a restaurant and sometimes I get like a little bit, I feel like such a cliche. I'm a Pilates instructor ordering my, you know, plant-based whatever. And I'm like, Oh, is it gluten-free? I have an allergy. And I just feel like sometimes do you ever feel like you're a cliche or you're annoying. Like I hate being that annoying person, but I, I also have gotten sick at restaurants before when I haven't been super vigilant. I usually do say I'm the annoying person okay. because I have, I have more than, well, you know, I find that my gut has seasons. Like sometimes I can't have certain foods or like sometimes like right now I cannot eat potatoes. I have no idea where that came from, but you know, so I'll say, I can't have gluten. I can't have this. I can't have that. I know I'm the annoying person, but, and I just kind of throw it out there. Um, I maybe early on, I felt embarrassed or cliche, but I really don't anymore. I'm like, who cares? So many people have so many food intolerances and allergies. And I mean, you go to a restaurant now and they have all the different symbols. So I'm kind of just like, whatever. Yeah. It's hard in Europe. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll be honest. Cause they're like, you stupid in North, North America. And you're so annoying with your, you know what I mean? Like, they're <laughs> like, it's, it's a different atmosphere. I haven't been in a couple of years, but every time I go, I'm like, I'll just have the salad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, like, I have never no been, yeah, <laughs> serious. I've never been to Italy, but I've heard that they're really good with gluten oh, allergies there. Oh, mm-hmm. Interesting. I I think the social part of it too, though, like I've, I have a friend who has a lot of stomach and just body sensitivities to food. Like she'll blow up if she eats up certain foods and things like that. And then also with stomach issues and, um, and she's always been like this. So I'm, I'm very used to it, but we'll be out with other people. And it's that also the pressure of someone saying like, well, just you know, just like split the pizza with us. Like mm-hmm. what? just have a slice. Like yeah. that can't do too much. Tap us are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I know you can't share food when you have all these intolerances. Yeah. It makes like, it hard. Exactly. And so she's like, I have to be the annoying person has to get my own meal while everyone else is sharing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's like a social piece to it, but I want to also talk about um, bathroom anxiety. And you mentioned, how the mind plays a big part in the gut. So Mm -hmm. can you just speak to that and what bathroom anxiety looks like for people? And, you know, you mentioned some scenarios of in high school, but what are some examples of that really playing uh, into and maybe escalating an already, you know, problematic issue like Crohn's and making it worse? Yeah. So bathroom anxiety is the anxiety of whether or not you'll make it to the bathroom in time or the fear of not being close to a bathroom. I mean, they go hand in hand. And it's so common for people who have chronic gut issues and urgency to have this anxiety. Uh, When I first was diagnosed with Crohn's, the anxiety was insane. And it, it did escalate for a while until I finally talked about it. And then once I started talking about it, I... So I found all these other people who had this anxiety and like, this is an actual anxiety that's not talked about. So I get super passionate about talking about it now because people just need to know about it. But um, it was 
definitely an anxiety in high school, but I'd say it got worse in university because, you know, you're at university, you're taking the bus to campus. I was taking the Greyhound back to the city. I went to the University of Guelph. So, you know, I didn't have a car at the time and I relied on transit and I would I don't recommend doing this at all, but I would not eat for a full day if I had to get on the Greyhound to go back to the city because I knew that if I ate, I was going to have to go poo. And what if I got on the Greyhound and there wasn't a bathroom on the bus? I mean, there typically was, but what if the bathroom wasn't working? What if it was out of order? Like I had all of these anxieties going through my head. Um, in lecture, I would always sit at the very back away from anyone because what if I had to get up and go during you know, a lecture. Uh, And then it progressed to once I graduated and I'm taking the subway downtown to work, you know, what if I get stuck in the subway or what if the subway stalls for a few minutes and I really have to go to the bathroom or what if I'm giving a presentation, I have to go to the bathroom. Like it was just a constant thought that was in my head. You know, I'm at the airport. What if I'm in line through security? Like I, I am already standing in security for 30 minutes and now I have to go to the bathroom. What if I have to leave? Like, can I? Like, it was just constant and it really ruled every part of my life. Um, and it does for a lot of other people. I know I'm rambling here. So no, it's it's you're not. <laughs> but um fortunately, you know, I it doesn't rule my life anymore. Um, and I can get into that as well, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a hard anxiety to deal with because once you have told yourself, you have to go to the bathroom and you have a, a digestive health issue, you have to go to the bathroom. Like there's no holding it. You have to go now. And then, um, I mean, I think everybody at some point in time, whether or not you've had a gut issue or not knows the feeling of when you urgently have to go and, you're like in a situation and you start sweating and you're like, gotta go now, whether it's a bowel movement or you have to pee, Mm -hmm. it's not fun to be in. Mm -hmm. No, the, the having to, I mean, is there a fear of having an accident? Is that a big one? Yeah, that is the fear. I think that's the biggest fear is pooping your pants in public. Um, or just, and that was my biggest fear at least. And I was so nervous that, you know, I would be on a bus or like, I'd be in a car with, um, a friend who was driving and I would just like shit myself or I'd be at the airport and I'd, I'd never have though, but it was a huge fear and it still is a fear of mine, but it's not so much because I feel like I have all these tools in my back pocket now. When did you start to explore the relationship of food? to what was going on. I mean, you said you were in remission. So you, that's in your late twenties, but Mm -hmm. you dealt with like, when did you start examining like going gluten-free for example? Mm. Um, in I'd say first year university, I had done like a food sensitivity test with a naturopath and there was so many foods that I couldn't have. I remember going to the grocery store with my mom after that appointment and just like crying because I'm like, what can I eat? Uh, and so for a few years, maybe it was a couple, maybe just two years, I would, you know, I had such a restrictive diet, like no tomatoes, no 
cheese or dairy, no this, no that, but gluten was never on the list, but I was still having these symptoms. And then um, I went to another naturopath and they said, why don't you just try going gluten-free? So I did. And it was like, it wasn't a magic pill, but my symptoms decreased substantially. And um, the more I was gluten-free and the more I ate gluten-free, it was like, okay, gluten's definitely triggering something. So now I'm just fully gluten-free and I've, I've tried here and there, like every few years, I'll be like, maybe I'll try it again. And I did just a couple of weeks ago, I heard like, you know, sourdough bread has low gluten. It's really good for digestion. And I thought I'm not celiac. So maybe I'll just give it a go. Went to the farmer's market, got a nice loaf. It was so good. (laughs) I had like a couple slices and then the next day for a few days, it just was, my gut was not happy. And even when you started to, you know, cut out gluten and started to see a a big improvement, did, did you still have bathroom anxiety? Yes. Yeah. It, it didn't, um, take away that I was still having, you know, urgency and I was still having my gut issues, but it wasn't, uh, it, the, the symptoms weren't as severe, but the bathroom anxiety was still there. So, you know, I could have a perfectly good gut day, but then as soon as I start thinking, oh, what if I have to go to the bathroom, then, you know, I can, I can make myself have to go to the bathroom. And that was a big thing for my wedding too. Like the day that I got engaged, I started thinking, what if I have to, what if I walk down the aisle and I have to go to the bathroom or what if I'm like, up at the altar and I have to go to the bathroom. And we had a longer engagement. It was like two, two and a half years. So during that time, it was my mission to kind of like get this bathroom anxiety under, like figured out. And fortunately I, I got to a point where I was a lot healthier in my mind with it. Um, I can go into some of yeah. those tools. Cause I think that's something a lot of people want to want to hear when they hear bathroom anxiety. It's like, okay, hey, well, how do you deal with it? Yeah. We'd love to hear some of the tools that have worked for you. Um, so, I mean, everyone's so different and I think it took me a long time to figure out what tools helped me. So in university, I saw a social worker and, you know, she went through cognitive behavioral therapy with me and it worked to a certain extent. Like I was still, I, I knew the, the, the framework of how to go through the CBT but um, there, it still wasn't like my my like golden ticket to getting out of bathroom anxiety. Um, but it helped. So I always say to people, if you have bathroom anxiety, seek support if you can, because it's so important to talk about. It's just like any other anxiety, right? Um, one thing that I relied on a lot was emodium, which is, you know what emodium is, right? Anti diarrhea, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, I mean, I lived off of those for a long time. It wasn't healthy, but I'm like, whatever, they're always in my purse. Um, and fortunately I haven't taken one in a really long time. So I think that's, that's a good sign. Um, and, but the biggest thing for me was, was naming it and talking about it and just like giving it a label and telling people like, this is what I have, because for so long, I just, was so afraid to even share the fact that I had this anxiety. And I think that was what was eating at me. So, you know, at work, I I used to be at a PR agency and 
the culture there is like, go, go, go. And, you know, you're giving presentations, you're in meetings, it's so busy. And there was no way I would tell anybody about this anxiety. Um, But I then switched agencies and I ended up saying, listen, I have I have gut issues. I might have to get up to use the bathroom. And as soon as I shared that, it was like, it's off the table and my anxiety goes down. And I actually didn't have to use the bathroom during that presentation because like people know, okay, I might have to go. So once I, once I finally felt open enough to like share that this is what I'm going through. It's made it so much easier. So now when I give presentations, which I have in a couple of years because of COVID, I usually will tell somebody like, I do have Crohn's and IBS. I might have to leave to use the bathroom. Or um, I mean, today, if I was having a bad gut day or I was feeling really anxious, maybe I would have told you guys like, I might have to get up to go to the bathroom during this podcast. It just makes the anxiety feel so much um it, you know, heard and yeah. Um, even telling, you know, your close friends or your family or your partner, like I might have to leave to use the bathroom or it's, it's just been really helpful for me to share that. Um, another thing for people who have bathroom anxiety is to just like figure out what relaxes you. Like is it box breathing where you, you know, you breathe in and you hold for four kind of making a box or is it um, like playing a game on your, your phone to kind of take your mind off of what you're going through. There's also a few really good apps um, on your phone, on the smartphones, (laughs) on the smartphones. I feel feel like I'm like 80 on the smartphones. (laughs) (laughs) that you can download and it will help you locate bathrooms. So for a long time, I would always locate my bathrooms before I went anywhere. So one in Canada is called Go Here um, and it's through Crohn's and Clytus Canada. And it, it gives you access to like your nearest bathroom. And then there's one called Flush and that's worldwide. I can give you the links to this if you want to put it in. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. That's wow. Um, Yeah. So, you know, If you're just like starting to figure out how to deal with your bathroom anxiety, playing or planning out where the bathrooms are is really helpful because you know, like, okay. Or if you get to a mall, like find the bathroom before you start shopping or. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask for the bathroom either. Like for a long time, I'd go to the grocery store and think like, is there even Mm. a public bathroom here? And, and if, if you're in a, you know, venue where there's not a public bathroom, and they deny you, you say like, I have a medical condition. I need to use your bathroom. Like, Stand up for yourself. Yeah. Has that happened to you before? Uh, it has once. And they said they didn't have a public bathroom. And I said, well, I, I really have to go and I have a digestive issue. And they were like kind of taken back. And they're like, okay, here's, here's the bathroom. Yeah. But you can also get, I, I don't know if they're in Canada yet, but I got it from the States. And I mean, people don't know that it's a thing in Canada or not, but they're called um, access bathroom cards, bathroom access cards. And it's like a a medical emergency card that you can just show. Like I have a a, um, medical condition that uh, allows me to use your bathroom. Oh, Oh, wow. And Mm -hmm. have you ever had to use that? Um, I never had to use it, but it was just something that I felt comfortable carrying around in the early days. They yeah. should give those to pregnant women. 
Yes, totally. I remember that one time I was in like a coffee shop in New York pregnant and I was like, can I use your bathroom? And he was like, no, but since you're pregnant, I'll let you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like one of those. Like, yeah. Okay, thanks. But yeah. the, the problem is, is if you're, if you're experiencing what you're, you know, like that's not an obvious condition, right? Mm-hmm. Pregnant. They're, they're usually a bit nicer to you. Yeah. Um, you know, they understand you're going to pee your pants, but with, you know, with, with it's an invisible condition. Exactly. It's invisible. And Lexi here. Okay. So let's shift to another under the radar, not so hot topic for a minute. Body hair. Everyone's got it, but a lot of us want to live smoother. Am I right? 10 years ago, I started Wax On Laser and Wax Bar. Wax On isn't just any waxing and laser hair removal bar. We are the industry leader creating a safe space that inspires people to live confidently in their own skin. Over the years, we've developed trust. Trust that you know you're getting the best quality and comfortable experience every single time. Whatever you come to Wax On for, it's going to be awesome. We've created our own exclusive gold wax formula that's like no other. It's as pain-free and long-lasting as it gets, perfect for all your waxing needs. At Wax On, we've invested in top-the-line laser technology that's effective on virtually any hair and skin tone for effective results on every body. Seriously. And we carry a carefully curated collection of products. Some we make ourselves, locally I might add, and some are from brands we've fallen in love with that adhere to our values and standards of clean, good for you, and female founded. If you haven't experienced Wax On, I invite you to enjoy 20% off your first service with code WEGOTHERE. Visit waxon.ca or download the mobile app to book in with code WEGOTHERE because there is such a thing as a better hair removal experience to help you live smoother. I mean, some people even have bathroom anxiety with um, like having to pee. Like I have one friend who mm-hmm. has like um, Urgency the smallest bladder. And that's, she has to pee all the time. That's not that's not a thing. I can help her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell her true. to call Nikki. Urge incontinence <laughs> is a real thing. Overactive bladder is a real thing. There's no such thing as a quote unquote, I just that's got true. a small bladder. I mean, that's she true. might have a slightly smaller bladder, but like if this happened, especially after having kids or something, she needs pelvic health PT. Follow I actually need pelvic, pelvic health. <laughs> Yeah. This is a hard thing, right? Like, and I'm not, this isn't to gaslight anybody. Like there may, I'm sure just like our anatomy varies. There may be people who have a smaller bladder capacity, but there are, there's actually a lot of the, you know, nervous system, you know, biofeedback where you can actually develop a tight detrusor muscle, which is the muscle that runs around the bladder. Mm. And you can start to feel a very real need to urinate when your bladder is only like a quarter of the way full. Interesting. You know, and the only way you can get past that is retraining your, and and of course, avoid bladder irritants, avoid a lot of alcohol and caffeine and, you know, even vinegars and tomatoes. And I don't know if there's any carryover to the, the um, bowels, but I imagine there probably is to some extent. Um, Yeah. There's definitely irritants like caffeine and alcohol and. Yeah. But I mean, I know a lot more about the diffuser muscle than I know about like the intestine and the colon and whatnot, just because of what I do. But, but yeah, this whole, like, it's hard because it's a combo of so many things. It's a, it's a physical thing, but it is also a mental thing, as you mentioned, you know, right. and, and it's hard when you're dealing with a real physical symptom. If you go to a doctor and they're like, oh, it's in your head, then that's like, 
so defeating, right? So you need someone to support you and really approaching it, I, I think, from a variety of places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if it if it is primarily an anxiety that the doctor's telling you, then advocate for yourself and ask like, okay, well then do you have recommendations or suggestions of who I can talk to? And if they don't, then ask, can you ask a colleague or, because I think that if you, if you have an anxiety or like any mental health struggle, it's hard to know where to look or where to find support. I think for me, when I was dealing with bathroom anxiety at the start, it was like I was at university. There was so much um, advertising and like push at the student services where there were, or I'm rambling here, but like there was so much attention um, for students to like go seek support if they needed help at the social worker or whatever. So I was like in a good spot there. But I, I wonder, you know, if I was dealing with this now and I didn't have all these like banners and flags and posters pointing to like therapy and social work at me if I would know where to go yeah well you're creating a lot for a lot of people with your gut gazette and it's amazing that you've created this community thank you yeah I I I mean it's I wish I had this when I was first diagnosed Instagram is pretty incredible I mean there's so many like negatives about social media, but there's so many positives and how that it can connect people. And, you know, there are a lot of other people doing similar things to what I'm doing. Like there's so many people talking about their gut health issues and their gut issues online. And like, I never had that early on. And it's just, it's pretty awesome to see now how people are opening up the conversation and not just gut issues, but all types of medical issues and mental health issues. Definitely. And is there anything that you would say you'd want to say to listeners who are struggling with bathroom anxiety and, um, you know, what it's like being on the other side of that, uh, and any additional advice that you'd want to leave with them? If you have bathroom anxiety, you're not alone. I think a lot of people who have it think that they're the only ones. And that's actually a comment I get a lot is like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was a thing. I thought I was the only one who was nervous about leaving the house and not finding a bathroom in time or like pooping my pants. So first off, you're not alone. Um, But I think the first thing that you need to do is to voice it and tell somebody you're close with. You don't have to go see a therapist or a social worker, but just like reach out to somebody and explain what you're going through. And then if you have the privilege to seek further support, um, like through a therapist or social worker, do that. And then while you're going through that support, try to figure out, you know, trial and error, what works for you. Um, And then a lot of people already do this who have gut issues, but if you don't have that emergency kit in your purse or your bag, like an extra pair of underwear, some Imodium, um, wipes, whatever you need in case you were to have an accident. And I think that a lot of the times, once you have that kind of like backup pack on you, you'd never have to use it. It's like Murphy's Law, right? But if you didn't have it, your anxiety might be a lot more worse or a lot worse. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's great advice. I had a friend who um, had bathroom anxiety and IBS and she we used to call it vitamin I because that's how frequent <laughs> it would be used. Yeah. yeah. Vitamin like it's I. It's a real yeah. thing. And, it's totally and she'd also thing. carry a little spray like a so that if she went, had to go to the bathroom, because that was another anxiety of like, mm-hmm. yeah. then, you know, you're, you don't have an option of what bathrooms you use. Right. Yeah, and exactly. Having that. So she'd have like a floral spray. Oh man. Right? I had that anxiety too. Like at the first agency I was at, um, the bathrooms were, it was like a huge open space concept. Oh, no. And, but then there was like three individual bathrooms in the middle of the oh, no space and they were nice bathrooms but like if you were in there for more than two minutes people knew that you were having a poop which I mean why does that even matter like I don't understand why people put such a stigma on that either um but again like it's a small bathroom and it's it's in a shared workspace so like if you do poo it's probably gonna smell and I would do the same thing I'd carry around these drops but I also would avoid it this bathroom like if I had to go, I would, I would leave and I would go to the gas station next door or I would walk to Starbucks. Yeah. And it's nasty. Like a gas station is a really disgusting place to to use the bathroom. But like, I was so nervous about having a poop at work. But, but that's, I think most people would feel a bit of anxiety in that situation of the workplace with Mm -hmm. like the door and then people knowing you're in there for longer, which like you said, why? Like everyone does it. It's so silly. But then adding the fact that you actually have bathroom anxiety, like then I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so wild. (laughs) Wow. So much mental health space. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And I think that is the biggest thing, like to get that addressed, to figure out with professional how you can, how you can work on this. Like a lot of the time with mental health struggles or issues, you can't do it alone. And it's just like bathroom anxiety. Like as much as you think, okay, I can figure this out on my own. um, You can't, you probably can't. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, such good tips. And I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this episode and thanks for sharing and, um, and taking this on and being vulnerable and sharing your story. Sorry. Yeah. My website is amazing. Also, I just, you know, like people definitely need to check that out. So we will leave this all in the show notes for you. Um, those of you listening, um, you've got like, you know, blogs, looks like you have recipes, you've got featured people there to talk about. You talk about endometriosis, like you, you've got so many really good, good topics and really, you know, well thought out information. So thank you for creating that. Thank you. Yeah. I love talking about taboo topics and, um, you know, stigmatized topics. So that's why I love what you guys are doing too. Like, it's so awesome and yeah, it's just great. Oh, thank you. And thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Take care. Have a great day. See you soon. Bye, Megan. Bye. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.